Kiora, and welcome to the Ending Life Well podcast. This podcast series for carers focuses on advice and practical solutions for carers who have been thrown into the deep end, looking after a loved family member or friend in their last days, weeks or months of life. Our episode today is Funeral Planning. Hi, I'm Denise Van Elst, a Senior Palliative Care Nurse and Educator at Otago Community Hospice. Today I'll be talking with Clark Campbell, a fourth generation funeral director, and we're going to discuss funeral planning and what's helpful to know in advance. Hi Clark. Hi Denise, how are you today? Good. Clark, thanks for joining us. Funerals are something that people often really put off, you know, they don't want to think about it in advance. And then, of course, lots of decisions to be made in just a few days. So it's really helpful, isn't it, if people start thinking about this in advance? Uh, Yes, it is, Denise. Um, For two main reasons, really, I think, is we still uh, have a funeral service or celebration of life in quite a tight time frame from when someone passes away to the date of the actual funeral or service of remembrance or gathering, uh, whatever that might be. And the two reasons it's good to maybe have a chat with family members at some stage is it really takes the pressure off the people who are left behind in the decision-making process. And secondly, the person who has passed away is more likely to get what they would like if they've explained it to someone before they've passed away. It's totally understandable why this is a subject that isn't spoken about uh, as it comes closer to the time, particularly when you're elderly. Uh, But now in contemporary society, it's becoming more acceptable to have a chat and pass on a few key wishes or as many detailed wishes as a person would like. Are you seeing more of that, Clark? People coming to meet with you and make a plan of what they want in advance? I am. I'm seeing a lot more of that than when I started my career and a lot more than uh, most of my father's career. It's still really low in New Zealand and Australia. I think only 6 to 10% of people sort of pre-plan or make arrangements for their funeral before it happens. Uh, But as you know, Denise, it's going to happen to 100% of us. Uh, So it's one of the few certainties in life. Yeah, so we might as well make it the way we want. And Clark, on that, the way funerals are has changed a lot, hasn't it, over the years? Not just with COVID, um, which has had its own impacts, but just in general. Funerals seem to be a wider variety than they used to be. They're far more personalised and unique to that individual than what they used to be. Uh, So uh, a lot of society now while still we have many different uh, ways to celebrate religion and culture, uh, we're all very different people and we have many different avenues to acknowledge the person who's passed away, what they meant to us and what their life was all about. I think it's been a real positive change in the last 10 years, 15 years, uh, to give everyone the celebration of life that they want and that their family wants. So they've become really diverse I still believe as a a little bit of a traditionalist that there's a few key elements that still need to be in there. A little bit of uh, ceremony, a bit of structure, acknowledgement of the deceased, um, procession and and just um, personable stories and, and sharing. 
So Clark, let's go through. What are some of the things that are involved? What are the things we need to think about if we're planning a funeral? One of the key things family members uh, find really helpful to know about uh, before a person passes away is whether their final disposition may be burial or cremation. Uh, another one of the key things I think is perhaps who might officiate, uh, whether that's a member of clergy, a celebrant or a family member. Those are then sort of padded out with other sort of decisions around perhaps having a cup of tea or gathering afterwards or not. Uh, it's older than time, uh, the gathering of people and sharing stories. Uh, I find from my experience that has as much value as the funeral service itself. I'm often saddened, Clark, when I've come across people who've chosen not to have a funeral for whatever reasons to them. I'm aware that when my mum died, for me, there was a great deal of comfort in meeting people and hearing stories about my mum afterwards at the cup of tea. You know, things that I actually didn't even know about my mum that I heard there and that gathering together really did bring a great deal of comfort. While a private funeral service has its place and take this with a grain of salt because I'm biased, I'm, I'm a funeral director. Uh, a funeral has always been a, a public sort of gathering for a few thousand years where the community has gathered, probably had a bit of ceremony with someone saying what the deceased meant to them, a procession down the main street to the burial grounds or the funeral pyre. And it's the first step in acknowledging what has happened. And when uh, that's taken away from the public uh, forum into a private forum, it's very difficult to make a list of people whom that person touched throughout their life. You may uh, leave off the dairy owner that the gentleman had a wee chat about the horse racing results in the weekend um, every Monday morning and that dairy owner may not have the opportunity to acknowledge what that relationship meant to them and also mm -hmm. to pass on his condolences to the family and share that story that perhaps the family didn't know. That is very difficult in a private environment. But we just don't always know, do we? As you say, the lives that have been touched by somebody, um, we're not always aware of, of the other lives um, that people may have touched. Uh, yes, yeah. uh, regularly in the time of sharing at a funeral service, we've had a person get up to speak when there's an open part in that funeral service for people to share. And the family members and next of kin have learned something about their grandfather, grandmother, mother or father that they never knew yeah. uh, and was uh, really enlightening for them and, and that was a, a big positive that they got out of the funeral experience. So I'm still going to go back to start some of the basics really Clark. So you touched on that one of the important things to know in advance is whether somebody's for cremation or burial. Uh, now routinely it used to be burial I think now there's far more cremations isn't there and some of that will probably be a cost factor because there's quite a difference in cost between those two. Yes there are it differs in every district in New Zealand um, the gap between how much it costs to be buried and how much it costs to be cremated and in my experience uh, it does seem to be a little bit of a cost driver but again in most rural parts of New Zealand and smaller towns uh, the cost factor between burial and cremation are quite similar, so it's a legitimate uh, choice. Following on from that, some of those decisions that family are going to have to start and make or can be made in advance comes down to simple things, doesn't it, like casket selection? Yes, Denise, yeah, that, that uh, 
takes pressure off the family decision making if perhaps granddad or, or grandmother have decided what casket or what music they would like at the funeral service. Um, then um, the guidance that is given is invaluable at the time from what I see. Um, a funeral is ultimately for the living or the people that have left behind, uh, but it's really good to get a balance of what the person would have liked and also what the family and people left behind need. Uh, but yeah. we can always find a balance to give both parties uh, what they would like. Uh, that's what I've found as well. Like you touched on music, and I, I guess that's really quite important, isn't it? Because that's really going to set the tone for a funeral is the style of music that's been chosen. Yeah, people are as different as you and I, and everyone has their differing uh, musical tastes. And again, sometimes uh, you haven't had your ears switched on uh, or listened to what granddad or, or grandma liked uh, musically. And it's quite handy to have that discussion and perhaps record it down before time. And, and then people will get a song that reminds them of the, the person or that the person requested themselves. Uh, music has always been part of a funeral service for the mm. last 150 years. It's traditionally been hymns. And, and what people uh, have wanted uh, played at the funeral to sing along to. But uh, as the generations get younger, the singing's got worse. So we <laughs> tend to listen to music more than we do sing it these days. And of course, along with music, what's become quite popular is the slideshow, hasn't it? Photos of somebody's life. Has that become almost routine now? Yes, it has. So we might have a time of reflection, which is some photos timed to a special piece of music uh, as a focal point. So the officiant is introducing the photos. And I think it's a really good way of, of rounding out verbal tributes and memories with something that is a, a picture tribute or adding some color and, and visuals to what's been said. Um, we get some, some great photos. Uh, again, uh, camera technology in the 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s was really, really good. And if you're lucky enough to uh, have pictures from back then, it's amazing seeing a person uh, who perhaps was uh, older in age, what they used to look like when, when they were younger. Grandkids are blown away by how good looking their grandparents were. <laughs> Some of the other things that people might want to be thinking about, Clark, is embalming, whether someone would be embalmed or not. Are you seeing changes in that happening? Yes, we are. So now we need to be a lot more transparent with uh, what's going to happen when someone comes into our care. And one of those questions or decisions that needs made is whether people are going to come and see their loved one again, and if it's okay for us to prepare them for viewing. Most often this involves embalming, which has three key factors to it, is it's to improve the presentation of the person who's passed away. Uh, quite often their complexion can change um, and, and also some of their facial features, uh, but also it's to make them uh, safe to be around for people who want to come and visit them, especially if there is going to be a, a period of time between when the person passed away and when the funeral service might be. We can um, do some wonderful things on the embalming front and it really does make the person look more like the person people remember and create a better memory picture for people. But it's not essential? 
it's not essential. If we're going to have um, a, quite a, a small time frame between when someone passes away and a funeral service, we don't have to embalm it all. It is a, a choice and people choose uh, not to for a variety of, of reasons. Um, some of them might be ecological reasons or invasive reasons, um, or they don't see the, the need for it. So it is a legitimate choice. There's actually quite a lot of choices, isn't there? You know, one of the other ones is the clothes. What, what is this person going to be buried or cremated in? Do you find there's much discussion about that? Yes, there is, Denise. Actually, over the course of my lifetime, because uh, I grew up on site here at the funeral home, so I can remember everyone was in nightwear when I was a small boy, so men in pajamas and, and women's in their 90s. Uh, before my time was a, an actual uh, shroud that uh, went, was part of the, the casket side set. Um, I don't remember that. Uh, but then it was pajamas, and then it was... Uh, very uh, formal wear so um, even if perhaps a farmer uh, wore a suit three times in his life for his three children's wedding he was put it in a suit and um, <laughs> women were dressed up to the nines and currently now people are in sort of more clothing that they would be comfortable with and also that their families are used to seeing them in uh, but again I reckon that's another very important part of personalising the experience. So if there was a, um, your dad was a comb carrier, he might as well go with a, a comb. Um, if he was a jeans and, and shoes person, then he should be in, in jeans perhaps. Um, but all of the clothing needs thought of. So that's underwear and uh, jackets, um, everything that that person's comfortable with. It, it is a, another uh, key point to think about and perhaps get organised or have a plan before the time because laying your hands on these items, if uh, family members are spread far and wide geographically, uh, can be a little bit pressure sensitive when the, the time happens. We have one of the shortest times in New Zealand, don't we? A matter of usually, commonly, three or four days between a death and a burial or cremation, but it can be much longer in other countries. In my father and grandfather's time, it was almost a rule. It was three days later after death. That has spread out a little bit longer now, I find, to sort of around about a week or, or very close to that. But there's no need for us to do things um, that quickly if people want a, a longer period to make decisions and get the funeral perfect because you only get one chance at a funeral. Uh, but I'm still finding in, in, in our culture, we do do this process very quickly. Uh, but again, with pre-planning, if some of those bigger decisions are, are made, it can be a, a worthwhile period of family time reminiscing and sharing memories about their loved one that's died. And certainly choosing those photos for the, if there's going to be a slideshow, can involve a lot of discussion, a lot of memory sharing at that time. I ask people at my first sort of arrangements as one of their first priorities to start thinking about the photos because it can be a little therapeutic going for a wander down memory lane um, with each photo of the camping trip for the last 25 years or whatever that might be. So it's uh, always a, a big job if you've got boxes and boxes of, of photos to go through, but it's also a, a good um, family sharing time. You'll be pleased to know, Clark, that uh, working in palliative care, when it's appropriate, it's often something I recommend to families to start 
even earlier on because I know how long it can take once those discussions and memories start happening. You're quite right. And now everyone has a camera on them in the form of their phone. Um, so there's possibly a lot more photos. Clark, things like funeral notices. Now, traditionally, they've always gone in the daily paper. Is that still the most common place that funeral notices are recorded? That is on the decline of notice from some of my uh, funeral colleagues up and down the country. Uh, we're not as big a newspaper readers as we once were. And now there's other different forums where people are finding out their news. And that could be uh, social media or texting or whatnot. Um, it's not compulsory to put a notice in a newspaper anymore, uh, but it still is a good idea to inform the general community that uh, one of their community members is no longer with us. Uh, there's no rules or anything for what you write in the newspaper, but there are some key points there to help identify the person so that the people reading it uh, have got the right William Smith that they think it is. And that can be identified by perhaps where they grew up uh, you know, formerly of Dunedin, um, perhaps their age, and again, uh, their family relationships, so who their wife and children are. We do sometimes talk about thinking twice about listing the names of the 15 grandchildren and great-grandchildren, because those column inches can start to add up for the cost, can't they? <laughs> yes, uh, very quickly, and then if you would like it in multiple papers, uh, can be quite an expensive exercise, and, and you're right. Um, if you have added prolifically to the national census <laughs> with uh, 20 or 30 grandchildren, then maybe you might want to cover that as a loved grandfather to many. Um, again, it's about giving choices, and each individual family may want to put in their own personal notice to acknowledge uh, their, their grandparent, which is also yeah. a choice as well. Like there's some technicalities that need to be addressed with a funeral too, isn't there? Such as registering the death. So you help with those things? There is a legal element for when someone passes away, much like you have to register a birth and a marriage. We're also legally obliged to register a death on the day of the cremation or burial. And that's gathering information about the deceased. It's a very basic sort of information about where they were born and the appearance and marriage details, and also the ages of the children, along with several other questions. Uh, what I am finding now is um, people aren't quite as knowledgeable about the generations above them as they once were. Uh, but again, uh, that's something that can be pre-organized ahead of time and also be the starter of a conversation with someone as well um, to find out your grandmother's maiden name. Um, and what your grandparents did. And then what happens there is uh, those details are sent off to births, deaths and marriages. Uh, an official certificate is compiled, sent back to the funeral director, who then forwards that on to the family and perhaps an executor. And that's the legal document that's required for winding up that person's affairs. Uh, it takes 10 working days. So Clark, the information that's needed for that can be quite surprising, you know, that you need to know the maiden name of the mother of the person who's died. So it's helpful to start gathering that information in advance. Is there a place that people can go to find what information they're going to need? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, there's a, a couple of places that you can find um, to access these questions so that you can answer them. 
Um, there's an official association of New Zealand called the Funeral Directors Association of New Zealand, and that'll have all of the legal questions that are required uh, at the time of death to complete a death certificate. And any of your local funeral directors in your town will also have pre-arrangement booklets where these key questions are in there that can be written down and pre-recorded at an earlier date. Uh, sometimes I recommend that you maybe fill that out, telling a loved one where it is in your home. And then that information is recorded and can be easily accessed. Clark, is there any other decisions that people are needing to make, things that they need to think about on planning a funeral? Another important one may be a venue where you would like to have this event. Uh, it is really nice when you get a personable experience, perhaps on a person's farm where you can have a funeral, uh, the person's church, uh, or the funeral home. But um, do put some thought into that. So I think that's really important to have a discussion about. And it's a great idea having it at a venue that's actually personal. I mean, it might be the local rugby club. It could be at a, at a community hall. It doesn't have to be a formal place, does it? There's no legal requirement for that. No, there's not. No, it's, um, there, there's a couple of practical sort of requirements and that is that it needs to be big enough to hold the expected people that are attending. And then there's a, a few of the uh, logistical elements like TV screens and sound systems, but they can all be very easily organised by the funeral director or members of the community. And it, it really is nice if, if that place is relevant to the person who passed away. If they were the president and long-term standing committee member of the local bowls club, then what could be better than having it at the bowls club and, and rolling on to the bar afterwards where they were seen many an evening? Absolutely. Another thing I've just thought of, Clark, pallbearers. Is it still a feature of modern funerals? Pallbearing or a person uh, to carry the casket is still a question that is always asked. It's always been an honour being a pallbearer at a funeral service. Yes. Um, you do need a minimum of four pallbearers and then depending on how many times we're going to carry the casket, we can include 12, 18 people if we're going to carry the casket multiple times. And also traditionally, two generations ago, it was men. Uh, it doesn't need to be men anymore. Uh, the casket doesn't need to be physically carried. It can remain on a, a casket trolley and be wheeled if there's any concerns about uh, physicality of people. But uh, if I'm told ahead of the time on who's going to uh, be part of the pool bearing or procession, then I can facilitate including those people in some way, shape or form. And Clark, that facilitation is quite a key thing, isn't it? Because legally we don't have to use a funeral director um, to conduct a funeral. We could do this all ourselves, but that takes quite a lot of planning and forethought and coordination. There is no legal uh, necessity to include a funeral director in making funeral arrangements, organising a celebration of life or organising the burial or cremation of a person in New Zealand society. Again, it gets a little bit back to that culture of doing this event quite quickly yeah. uh, and making all of those decisions with a limited knowledge can be very stressful if your time frame is from when the person passes away to when the funeral service or final disposition is. But again, there's no reason why people can't do it themselves with a, a bit of planning and um, useful resources, which any funeral director would be happy to provide people with as well. 
Do you find perhaps that there's a bit of a blend these days where people are doing a few things for themselves but perhaps using funeral directors to just coordinate the basics but they're doing some of the, the extras, the personal things? Very much so. Like we alluded to earlier, venue and family and community helping with organising the venue is a good inclusive way of people feeling part of the, the process and honouring the person by doing work or organisational things uh, towards the, the final funeral or send-off. Another one we have regularly is uh, providing vehicles to carry the casket in. Um, sometimes that was the person's own vehicle or a son uh, or daughter. Uh, sometimes there's a clever grandchild on the IT front who might provide the, the service sheet. Sometimes when you're using another venue like a rugby club and whatnot, uh, people can gather and make food. And again, that's part of the community side of things, of, of getting together. And I imagine there's a few stories shared while the food's being prepared. Uh, but yes, yeah. in New Zealand, it's very unrestrictive to what you legally need to do um, to organise your own funeral. There is a couple of technical aspects around when a person is for cremation, about getting a, a medical referee organised uh, so that the cremation can take place. But again, uh, if you know where to look and access that information and you're organised ahead of time, it can be uh, DIY'd in true New Zealand fashion. <laughs> I think that comes back really to the point that you made earlier then, that funerals are about the person who's died, but they're for the people who are still here. Yes, a funeral should be a unique event to that particular person and a gathering and acknowledgement of what has happened uh, for the people that have left behind. It's a lovely way of looking at it. Clark, thank you for discussing that today. I've really appreciated your time. Thank you, Denise. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. This podcast series was brought to you by Otago Community Hospice with support from Hospice New Zealand. If you found this discussion helpful, check out our other episodes of Ending Life Well, a podcast series for carers. You can also find more resources for caring for a person who's dying on otagohospice.co.nz forward slash education. Thank you.